Hey, DTC pod, it's time to let your customers enjoy the products they love without the friction of reordering. That's why the world's most innovative brands like Pete's Coffee and Il Maquillage rely on order group subscriptions to build long lasting customer relationships and recurring revenue. Easy to manage and seamless for shoppers, Order Groove comes with the tools your business needs to become the next big subscription success story. Visit ordergroove.com slash DTCpod today to receive two months off your first contract. Again, that's ordergroove.com slash DTCpod. Also, are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from Open Store at open.store. Can you define what an advertorial is? An advertorial to me is oh, that is a really good question. You know, it is a landing page that is very focused on content. I see it almost as a cross between a piece of content you'd find on a news site or on BuzzFeed or on really any site that isn't necessarily selling something mm. hard. I, this is a strategy that page. Hint did. In the early days, I read yes. this from Nick Sharma. Yes, so Hint. actually, well, yeah. Nick on my podcast oh. talked about that strategy. And that was, so they had this, for Hint Water, they had this letter style advertorial. Sure. It lived on Hint's website, if I recall correctly. Yes. Hint branded, but it was something about how this founder, I, I forgot the title. I but. mean, I recently re, I heard the story somewhere, like they also worked with the publication to put ad spend behind it from the own publication's website, I believe. But I think there was a call to action to some other step on the website, but yeah, something along those yeah. lines. And if I recall correctly, I would have to literally re-listen to my own podcast. Yeah. But I believe Nick also mentioned that they found performance of that page on their own website was pretty much the same as when that page lived on a publisher's website. Uh-huh. And imagine if it lived on your site, like, I mean, it's yours, yeah. you know, it's so much easier to manage. You're probably not paying tons of fees or whatever the agreement has to be. You know, so far, at least for split-based clients, we've been building those landing pages and different types of advertorials on the brand site. And I mean, it's performing like crazy. It's not like you'll build the first page and it's a one-hit wonder and it works instantly. But I mean, so far... Once you have the right formula. It's yeah, so what, so what would like a good example be that a standard D2C brand might be like launching something and say they want to start like an advertorial? Like what is, how would you start with that? One of the formulas that we found works best and it's probably the most popular right now, it's those five reasons why types of landing pages. Sure. And it would be, for example, and I'm trying to recall like a client's landing page and obviously we're filming this now and, and I'm totally blanking out, <laughs> but... You know, it would be five reasons why this actually, so snow teeth whitening, you know, they're a client of ours. And this advertorial that we built, I believe is like seven reasons why celebrities prefer this teeth whitening treatment over the dentist. Might not be exactly that headline, something like that, Mm -hmm. but incites curiosity. It doesn't necessarily try to sell you right away. So on a traffic acquisition perspective, it definitely attracts clicks and attention. But and then it's like, harder, though, to get them all the way through the funnel. Like, what's the typical funnel yeah. for that look all the way to the end? So I wouldn't say that everybody that lands on that page, because it's a lot of content, will convert right away. 
That being said, you know, having seen you know hundreds of them across our clients so far, even the performance of and and you wouldn't think so because there's so much content for so many of them. You wouldn't think that performance would equate just like a traditional landing page that sells you directly, but very often the performance has been very similar. Then the trick has been a lot of the brands have found a lot of success, you know, kind of using that as as prospecting, sending cold traffic to this type of page, and then people who didn't buy directly from that page, then they just retargeted people and sent them to just a product. So yeah, there's many ways to approach it. Five reasons why, or more like something that reads more like a, a letter or an article like Hint Water did. But I mean, you can really be creative. And I think that's the thing, right? At one point, those five reasons why advertorials are probably, I'm not ready to say they're not going to work, but I mean, I don't think they're always going to have the performance. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Yeah. But they're going to become overused, totally. like everything else. But, uh, you know, when you just think of the strategy in general and the principle, right, which is, okay, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is that we're not trying to just sell something right away. We're trying to build curiosity and educate customers at the same time mm-hmm. and dismiss their fears and concerns that they might have about the product ahead of time mm-hmm. before actually selling them on it. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's working so well. But in the future, let's say those five reasons why or, or the types of advertorials that we're used to doing today, if they stop working, I mean, I think we can always find an alternative. Oh, just like, how can we be creative? You know, is it like, I don't know, a slideshow? You could do an advertorial in a video form, probably. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I think there's... Um, the modern info infomercial. Yeah. You know? you know, for companies that are willing to fail and just try things, I mean, this is it. Just like try a whole lot of things. How did you come around this? And, and you know, taking a step back, just so the audience knows better, you're the CEO and founder of Splitbase, right? And so what is Splitbase bread and butter? Right. So Splitbase, it's pretty simple. We help direct-to-consumer brands, e-commerce brands, improve their conversions. But, I mean, I hate saying that, to be honest, yeah, yeah. because it's like, this is what people relate to, and maybe this is something to talk about when it comes to category creation later. Yeah. But, you know, we help e-commerce brands improve their user experience so they can make more money. Now, most people think of like, oh, we're a conversion optimization agency. And yes, by the way, that's what we are. We're a conversion optimization agency. But we don't just focus on your conversion rate, right? That includes, you know, how can we help you get better insights about your customers that you can utilize in all aspects of your business? How can we help you become more experimentation driven so you can make decisions about what to change on your website without fearing that this new feature is actually going to tank your sales, mm-hmm. right? And it's just testing other things. Like with a lot of our clients, we test a lot of different bundles and upsells and product bundlings. And, and we try to be very creative. It's not just about... And they all have data. different goals, I assume. I mean, Absolutely. Right? And so what are some of the customers that, you know, you, you've enjoyed working with the most and, and you've been working with lately? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to name any favorites, but I think <laughs> those that are probably better known and that we've been working with for a long time would be, you know, brands like Dr. Squatch, which, you know, many of them probably saw during the Super Bowl. Brands like, I just mentioned, Snow Teeth Whitening. Oh my God, there are so many. Amika, which is a pretty well-known uh, hair care brand as well. Glamnetic, INH Hair. Vanity Planet, I mean, I could go on, but it's, you know, they're all brands that are, I think, pretty exciting. They're design focused. They have, you know, products that 
are great and very often pretty innovative for the marketplace, but it's just how do we communicate it properly to customers so people really understand that, and that's through landing pages and content and on the PDPs, how do you improve You that? worked with SaaS in the past, is that right? Like yes. back, I mean, when we met back in the day. Actually, so <laughs> yeah. I pretty much forgot about that, but yes, I started Splitbase when most of my friends were SaaS founders. Mm -hmm. And because that's what I was familiar with, I was like, you know, well, Splitbase is going to be a conversion optimization agency for SaaS companies. Now, a couple of things. One, I think it would have been better positioned as a churn reduction agency, maybe, or, you know, something a bit more focused in conversion optimization because I realized after maybe a year of doing that, that it's like SaaS companies, like it's not conversion rate, it's not like the term that really comes to mind. It's like LTV expansion exactly, almost, more right? so, right? So, but also I just wasn't really passionate about the SaaS space. Mm -hmm. And I caught myself one day thinking, and actually saying to a friend, I'm like, you know, when I'm done with this SaaS thing, I'm gonna focus on helping out e-commerce brands mm -hmm. with optimization. And then my friend was just like, whoa, why don't you just do it now? Yeah. And I'm like, damn, you're right, man. <laughs> like e-commerce is so much more fun to me. Like just, I feel like- And how long has it creative. been since that? I feel like I'm bad at tracking years, but probably seven years or so, okay. roughly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before the major DTC hype wave that we've- Oh, way before. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so this is, so to me, this is super exciting because here's the deal. Like for so many years, it felt like you had to convince brands and still a bit today that, you know, hey, optimization is something that you do. And it just felt like, I don't know how to say it, but we were stuck in like a very old way of thinking. Like most e-commerce brands were just not really thinking ahead. And it was just like a very old school way of thinking about user experience in general. Yeah. And eventually this DTC era kind of started surfacing. And uh, what's been interesting is that, I mean, still then, CRO, like conversion optimization and landing pages, wasn't a big thing. Even today, it's only really starting to become like the thing to do. Mm -hmm. And more notably, since the iOS changes, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. People realized, oh yeah. man, it changed everything because you realize people said, people were just so focused on testing their ads, testing their ads. Yeah. And they were like, oh, the website, it just needs to look sexy and good and beautiful and, and design will sell. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, no. Like design is one thing and it helps build trust mm -hmm. and it helps, you know, it, it provides an identity, but design alone is not gonna answer your customer's questions, mm -hmm. their fears, their doubts, their objections. It, you know, design is made to support that content, not be that content, if that makes sense. Now it's totally, I totally forgot what the question was, mm -hmm. but okay, so. I forgot too. <laughs> with the iOS changes, that's what happened. People realized, oh, we're testing our ads all the time. And we're just, you know, people started yeah, well, waking that was, up. That was kind of like the lever to pull, right? When, because all you could do, you could just, you know, let's test this ad copy and this ad copy and this ad copy. And there's a clear like ROI in being able to do that when you, when you were able to track that into conversion. But now like you're saying, now that you don't have as much visibility, on that far top of funnel, your next most important thing, it's like, well, every customer is gonna to come to our webpage, so let's figure out how, like once they're there, let's optimize 
this, what they're seeing, what they're learning, how they're feeling to help them through that buying process, right? And let's let's convert the number of people. Okay, great. Now we can drive traffic to our website, but like let's get them to buy and not just even buy with us once, but want to buy again and share it with our friends and et cetera. And all of that messaging that you're working on is helping them once they're on the web page say, this is okay, I get what this product offers. Uh, or I get what this brand is about, I want to buy it, and then if you give them a good customer experience, it's like, I want to return it, I want to tell my friends about it, right? Yeah. yeah, and you know what, I still find it crazy that it took so long for brands to catch up to this. It's almost refreshing in a way that like, it yes. just forces creativity in the market. Well, and the other interesting thing from like our perspective too, right, like I come from the background of like CX, thinking about retention first, and the reason we thought about that is like as an early stage startup when we were running Seated, we didn't have a whole bunch of like venture money to blow just on like Facebook ads and growing that way. So the only way we were able to grow was by doubling down on our existing customer base, building really complex user journeys, thinking all about retention, CX, how can we win back every single person who's reaching out to in CX, how can we win them back? That's what got me really excited about building OmniPanel for e-commerce is I think, you know, step one, you were able to like focus on ads, driving new traffic to your brand, converting that way. Step two is kind of the stuff that you're focused on, making sure once they get to the website, they're going to convert, they understand what the brand's all about. And right now what we're really doing is building software so when it comes to CX retention and bringing customers back that are your existing customers, not like as much on the performance side, but are your existing customers, how do we bring them back? What are the trends? Like what page did they convert from? Like how does that tie into their retention behavior or how does that tie into their returns and what products they're returning or how they're subscribing to our products. So um, it's just interesting to think of the whole landscape and there's all these different parts of the customer journey and they're, they're all so important. And yeah. you guys are maybe a little higher up the funnel than we are, but that's the most important part, right? Because like these people are coming to your site and you need to be able to communicate clearly to them what, what you're all about. And then, yeah, but like, see, like there's so many components there, like even, you know, communicate clearly, have the right user journey, like the right flows. So when it comes to conversion optimization, you know, let's talk about like three elements, you know, user experience, like which is the product, it's copy, it's design, like is it all of those? Do you focus on one? Do you like individually ter you know, focus on each one at a time? Like how does that play into conversion optimization? So yeah, Good question. So that's the thing in conversion optimization. So just kind of go back to this. Mm -hmm. You know, people think, oh, it's improving conversion rates. In a certain sense, yes. But honestly, it's conversion optimization really, to me, is how do we make a brand or a website more customer centric? Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, how do we make sure that this experience we're providing to the customer answers everything they need to make a purchase and you know to be happy with their purchase as le easily as possible mm -hmm. you know and as a result of that well you'll probably make more sales exactly <laughs> right so that's, that's will the be output happier. the output yeah. is conversion optimization you get optimized conversion but the input is doing all the hard things like you just addressed right exactly what does that include i mean technically everything mm -hmm. <laughs> right so for so example, you as an agency you can do the copy you can help with the design 100 okay so we're not going to focus on the optimization part of the traffic acquisition like we're not going to touch ads for example that's not what we do but post click you know okay customers clicked on your ad now they're on your website mm -hmm. it's go time uh -huh. what do we do do we need a landing page or is the landing page even working you know so 
first, before trying to apply tactics or techniques, because I think this is also one of the biggest traps for brands getting into optimization, they're like, hey, what is a, you know, Neil Patel or whatever marketer on their blog is saying about optimization? And most of that information is bullshit for most brands because the thing is, sure, there are some best practices when it comes to usability, but it's not about what's working for other brands or your competitors or whatever. It's like, what does your customer need for them to convert on your site and buy your product? And the only way to really get to the bottom of this is by really doing what we call conversion research, which is, hey, well, you know, and, and not to get too deep into this, but it's talk with your customers. It's really surveying customers, looking at how they behave, trying to understand how they're using and, and thinking with your product and your website. And then you're going to probably find, hey, oh, shit. Turns out yeah. we've been talking about the product this way, but customers don't even care about that. They care about this. Mm -hmm. And that is way more impactful than testing button colors and calling yeah, yeah, yeah. it optimization. Exactly. You know? and, and one thing that's, that jumps out at me about that is like, if you think about retail, right? Yeah. Stores invest so much in store design and research placing products in the right way, understand watching customers flow through the store and where are they going and, and like the amount of capital that's required to be able to invest in the, in your like a physical storefront is like massive, right? right? Dealing with rent, you're dealing with fixed costs, like it's very expensive and it's probably even more important on your website because it's not like you walk into a space and you're, you're like, oh, I'm here for 15 minutes. Let me kill 15 minutes and walk around and see what's in here. That's my favorite thing. It's like, no, if you don't catch them and you're not able to convey your brand's value really quickly, they're going to they're gonna bounce to anywhere else they want to be on the internet. So I think if you look at it in terms of that lens, it's even more important to be able to like really holistically think through conversion optimization and just apply it to your digital store. And, and on average, like, I mean, because some of this, it sounds like, you know, even in our own, I mean, a trend, like there's a few insights. I mean, I'm still gathering insights every day of like things that like, you know, have been on our website for a year plus. And I'm like, oh my God, like that is so wrong. Like we're selling the wrong thing, et cetera. We're displaying the wrong thing. And so what comes to mind for me is like, you know, you have to have patient customers, I assume, you know, you're not going to find these insights in a week, in a month engagement. Like how long does it typically take for a process for you to like, you know, have a breakthrough with, with your customers? I mean, look, there's no specific answer to this, mm -hmm. but let me ask you this question, right? So if you think of like your company in the past two years, mm -hmm. is your customer the same? My customer has changed a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So see, that's all I need to know. Mm -hmm. That means obviously there's a progression in any type of company. It has your expanded customer is change. the customer base, like the, the kind of customers we can serve, yeah. Exactly, and if we are talking about a D2C brand, mm -hmm. they're releasing more SKUs, mm -hmm. probably targeting different types of customers. Mm -hmm. So any business yeah, yeah, yeah. is gonna be growing. The market is gonna change, their customers are gonna change, yeah. right? So first, the process is infinite because you're always going to have to adapt. And when you do this research work, well, sure, it enables you to create landing pages, make changes on your site and run tests that hopefully, you know, will 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 drive some impact. But 
it also feeds you information in terms of how your customer and your product is evolving mm -hmm. over time. And I think that's kind of key because if you assume that, oh, I have one website and this is a fixed entity and my customer is also the same thing, at one point you're going to hit a wall, mm -hmm. right? So the process, I mean, let's say you go into your Shopify dashboard as an e-commerce brand and you decide to call a dozen customers. You do that alone and pretty sure just the insights by speaking to them and asking like, hey, what made you buy this product? What do you like so much about it? Well, just doing that one action will probably lead to enough insights to make maybe one little change. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not, you know, where's the end result? I don't know what is the mm -hmm. end result, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like there's a, it's more of a journey than a destination. Mm -hmm. I like that because see, sometimes like these things can be taken as like a project, as like a quick sprint. Like, oh, now we're gonna focus on conversion for this quarter. And it's like, it's an ever going thing. And, and I'm, you know, I'm a victim of that. Like I'll do that sometimes. I'm like, you know, hey, let's focus on, on the website this one month that we haven't visited in a year. And like, let's just sprint through it. But yeah. like, no, there's insights. No, it, it, it takes time. And it's always funny when you'll, you'll come to your website and you'll like have a breakthrough and then you like think of the old messaging that you have and it just makes you feel like yeah. awkward. You're like, oh, like okay. I was really saying that, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think that the whole process is an evolution. Like, you know, you just look back and back and back and it, and sometimes you're like, oh, that from the best, like maybe we were onto something there and then, right. oop, that was definitely not it. Uh, so it's just a constant, it's a constant journey. Like or you sometimes you go back to like something you had years ago that like it actually worked and you didn't think, it was working and it's from a really long time ago. But dude, yeah, because like right now, like we're, you know, we have like creators uh, starting at a hundred dollars and like that worked well for us, but now we're starting to go after mid market. And like part of us is like, I think this is turning off a certain kind of customer because it sounds like cheap. And so it's like, it's a benefit, but also it could be portrayed as cheap. So I see what you say when like the customer that you're going after changes and might change. And so that definitely changes your messaging. What about like getting really crazy into data and like saying like, you know, having a clear bit integration where like you can know their company size and having like different landing pages according to the company size. Like, do you support that stuff? Or you think that's like overcomplicating uh, what should be simple? So data can be a savior as much as it can be a killer. Mm -hmm. And the reason I believe this is because look, we have clients, for example, that sure, they have a lot of data tools and they're actually using it. It's integrated within Clavio and everything. It's integrated within their tools. They have staff to handle it. That's amazing. Yes, data that you can actually use and that leads to insights and that leads to an actual action. Not just like, oh, this is interesting data and then it sits there, right? Mm -hmm. But data that actually leads to progress or changes, that is great data and it's good to have. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, people get caught in this data porn, mm -hmm. really, <laughs> right? It's like, hey, we need data, we need data, we need data. But it's like, hey, before you actually get more data, ask yourself, do you actually need to know this? And if so, it's not, do you actually need to know this? It's like, are you actually gonna be using it and how? Because yes, I fully support data. I mean, look, like we have a data scientist on our team. Every single day, we're diving super deep in Google Analytics and Heap and, and looking at data 
both quantitatively and qualitatively. But this data is actually going to be used to build a landing page, know how to write that copy, run tests on the website. But yeah, I think there's, there's still a danger for brands to lose tons of money in, in, in unnecessary data and also and so much time. And a lot of times the data, like we were saying before, it is the output, right? Yeah. Like a lot of times what's important is what's in there. What are the insights? What are the groups of customers that performed XYZ action across all your systems? And then maybe I should just go talk to those customers. Yeah. Like you were saying, like, okay, something went wrong for this cohort of 100 customers who ordered this product line, left us a review with sentiment below this, and had a return during this date. Let me pull that list of those customers and go talk to them and send something personalized and like develop that relationship. But when you're just looking at it in terms of a pure numerical number, there's so many things, especially in a D2C operation, that can affect that output. So yeah. if ad spend goes up on the marketing side, well, yeah, we're going to see more support tickets. We're going to see more orders. Like All of that stuff is going to move. So when you're just looking at the data and you don't understand where it's correlating with, like, and you're like, ooh, like I'm killing it today. And it's like, no, actually, marketing's killing it today. And you just think you're killing it. Something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know, at the end of the day, if you're looking at Google Analytics or any data set you know, to try to make decisions, it's great. I'm sure it's helpful if you have a problem that you're trying to solve in mind. You know, the thing is that, sure, it'll give you percentages, ratios, numbers. It'll tell you which pages is performing well, which pages aren't. But what it doesn't tell you is the qualitative stuff. Because look, numbers are numbers, but your customers are human beings, right? right? And you're not trying to optimize for numbers. Those are signals that are going to help you optimize for the human being. But who you're truly optimizing for, those, those numbers you see on the screen, they're real human beings. You know, like if you see that your card abandonment, your conversion rate is low or not performing as expected, well, sure, G will tell you that, but why? Like there has to be something that caused people to abandon, mm -hmm. to stop themselves from actually finalizing their purchase. Are you interested in DTC and e-commerce content? Join Trend's exclusive community for everything DTC, the DTCers community. We're talking marketing, product, growth, and more, all about DTC. Go to trend.io slash podcast. That's T-R-E-N-D dot I-O slash podcast and look for the Slack community link to claim your invite. We hope to see you on there. What's so funny about that, it's like, you'll look at the numbers and why I think the stuff you guys are doing and how you approach conversion optimization is so interesting, is like, because conversion optimization and when they get to your website, what they're doing, how they're behaving, how does the copy read, all of this is so, it's not top, top of funnel, but it's like, they're on, like, it's pretty close to, it's very impactful in, their, in terms of if they're gonna buy, if they're gonna return, if they know what is going on. And those levers that you're pulling on the conversion page level, like they can massively impact those numbers that you're seeing in the data, right? Like you could, if you totally changed your homepage and changed everything about it, you could see like a 40% drop in like orders just like that, you know? And the, the orders that you're seeing, that's the output, but the input a lot of times at such an important stage of the buying journey is what you guys are working on. Totally. And like, let's say we put this into like a practical example, yep. right? 
back to the topic of advertorials, right? Let's say someone is like, hey, I want to build a landing page or an advertorial. It's five reasons why something, something. You know, I'm seeing here, hey, those work really well for our clients. It would be easy for someone who's listening to this say, hey, well, you know what? I'm going to try to build one of those. Now, what makes those work is not the fact that it's an advertorial with five reasons why. This is not it. Five reasons why pages that don't work, I see them every day. Clients come to us, they build something, and they're like, I don't understand why that's not working. The thing is, here's a difference. Building an advertorial or that template, that is a tactic in itself, right? But what makes it good is not that. It's the fact that the advertorials that we'll build are based on that qualitative data we just talked about. So those five points are generally five objections that we found out through customer surveys and through talking with customers. The images that we're going to use, well, those are some of the images we've seen work best through testing or in Facebook ad performance. So it's calculated, right? The words people use, well, great. When you do surveys and you ask people, like, how would you describe X brand to your friend? Well, people explain the brand in their own words. Analyze that, find the words they're using, reuse that on your landing pages. It's relevant. It talks to the customer. Because, you know, and I've been, I've been victim of that myself so many times, you know, and it's that we always think that we know what our customer wants. We're the founders of the company. We, we think we know what our customer wants and how, they're, how they think, but it's not true, you know? Very often you start doing that research and you're like, ah, damn, I was describing my company that way, but customers are describing it in an entirely different way. And that's why it can be so revealing sometimes to just, um, you know, stop looking at the quantitative data all the time. Try to just get some qualitative balance. And, yeah, and yeah. I, I, I think it's like how your customers think about you. Like that's such an important point, right? Because a lot of times operators of companies get so far into the weeds that, and this is all they're doing. They're eating, living, breathing, sleeping their company all day. And like, that's all they're thinking about. This word, this word, this word, this word. And you're so far into the weeds, sometimes it takes like thinking about things from the perspective of the customer because the customer is doing a million different things. Like they engage with your brand, you know, on a whatever, weekly, monthly, every six months basis. And they have this like really zoomed out picture. They just have, they have a general idea of what you do. Your brand gives them a feeling. They come to you to do X, Y, Z. They order, they may live with your product. But that experience from like living in operating company land, thinking about, oh, every little thing, every detail, they're two different things. So that's why I always say it's so important to just like put yourself in the shoe of the customer and imagine like, okay, if this was me coming to this website and I don't have any skin in the game and I want to buy from here, how is this making me feel? Right? Like, am I going to buy that? Like, and just thinking through that lens and even hearing, like you said, like, what are the words the customers are saying to describe your product? Like, if they're saying it, you may have an idea in your head, but if that idea is not in the customer's head, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think, importantly, validate it, right? Like, whatever hypothesis that you come up with as a founder or marketer around I like that. Your validate it, is. right? Because, like, it's not like you're necessarily wrong, but don't think you're right if you haven't validated right. it. Exactly. Well, you guys are both founders of SaaS companies, you know? So I'm sure you're familiar with, like, the Lean Startup and the Lean Canvas, right. right? And that's how I got into entrepreneurship. That's how I was introduced to things. I don't think a lot of e-commerce brands or, or I don't think it's really being used in the e-commerce space like I don't hear it I haven't heard of yeah I don't it, right it's 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 uh but you know when you think about software 
and um, you 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 know the lean startup into lean canvas methodology, right? What it teaches you is write down hypotheses mm -hmm. and go validate it. You know, test your you know that product market fit. Like that's a term that we don't hear in e-commerce, but it's still very much okay. there. And you still need to get that product market fit. You still need to go validate those things. And uh, yeah, so I think, you know, in, in my world, that's actually how I think of A-B testing. Like people think A-B testing, we're just gonna launch tests to increase conversions, but no, A-B testing is meant to validate or invalidate hypotheses around your business. And I think that is really how, you know, the most successful brands are using testing and experimentation. I think this is a good segue into like the category creation topic. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you can go and create a category, but is there something to that category? And I think just to layer in some context to creating a new category, I think whether you're in SaaS or you're in D2C or in e-commerce, like a lot of people say, I want to sell this product, but it's not just me saying, hey, I'm selling a new you know, sunscreen or a new t-shirt, right? They're saying, they're coming up with a new product yeah. that hasn't really existed before, and they're trying to unpack and communicate to new potential customers what this new product they came up with is and why they need it. So that's kind of the idea of like what creating a new category is. You can't just say, I'm a men's apparel company, right? You're creating something new, and you're trying to communicate that, and I think it's something that a lot of founders, marketers, may struggle with because that's a little bit different than just saying we're creating X for Y. So when you're doing that, I guess, Raphael, the question would be, how do you think about that with brands you work with when it comes to creating a category and what different ideas would you have that are actionable for them to, to do? Yeah, oh, you know, I'm not an expert on category creation, but I think it's a very interesting topic because a couple things, right? A lot of industries are oversaturated mm -hmm. and you know, you're then faced with the big question of how outside of design, colors, logos, mm -hmm. how are you different? How are you unique? You know, and I'm thinking, I mean, the skincare space, for example, which is our biggest vertical, large majority of our clients are in the skincare space. And not an industry that I would go into because I don't even know myself, honestly, at that point, how you would be able to create something that's very different but, you know, I think brands need to think outside of just how are we different in terms of the visuals, right? One of my favorite examples is this brand called, I'm going to botch it, but uh, Lomi. Yes, I think it's Lomi from the guys at PLK. So they actually, Matt Bertulli, one of the founders, is really one of the person who, he's been talking a lot about category creation because what they do, it's like... Um, it's like a small appliance you put on your countertop that instantly makes compost out of pretty much anything that's compostable. And when you think about this, it's like, okay, they really created their own category in terms of, and I don't, I don't remember exactly what they call it, but I think it's like garbage removal category, right? Yeah. And, it's, and it's very unique and it's like, oh, what is that? I think it's a great way to... Yeah, I had so many I thoughts mean, at this point. No, I, that reminds me of, uh, speaking of beauty, you know, we had uh, Jason Wong here. I don't know if you know yeah, him yeah, from yeah. Doe Lashes. So, yes. like, he was telling us, like, you know, Doe Lashes, like, lashes category. You know, there's, yeah. like, you know, so many brands. And, and it was really hard to figure out, you know, unit economics that would work because 
they were so cheap, et cetera. But he's just been, I keep watching what he does and he's just been insanely creative. Like his packaging, he just does a bunch of creative stuff. Like, you know, people even get like back, like neon the cloud of like his logo. Yes. And like people decorate the room like doe lashes. And then like they make sick UGC for him, for his brand. And it's like, you know, the product is, is essentially the same, but he created a category through brand yeah. almost in a way. And now now there's like, you know, all these companies obviously trying to do that, but I, I love that. And I think that's the thing, right? Like category creation shouldn't be just through branding, but also through product design. What is something that is different about the product? I like to call it a unique mechanism, you know, that makes it instantly different from everyone else, right? I'm not super familiar with the lashes category, but I know, for example, Doe and, and, and other brands, they're using the term magnetic lashes. Now, I'm not a customer of, of lashes, so I have no idea if that's something that everybody uses, the term magnetic lashes. But I think that's a great example. Let's say everybody would call their fake eyelashes, you know, just eyelashes or fake eyelashes, call it magnetic eyelashes, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Wow, okay, that is interesting. Mm -hmm. Magnetic, wait, does it mean it's, it's actually magnetic? No, but you know, it talks about it being easy to put on and remove and, and, and it's instantly visual and it sets people, it sets, sorry, the brand apart from everyone else who just says false eyelashes. Yeah, because it's descriptive and it's like, it's making you feel something as well. So it like yeah. describes that process really well. And I think another thing in terms of category creation, it's just being able to, it comes down to as well communication. It's like, need to know who you're communicating to and be able to like articulate your value prop and why you need it. And it's really comes down to what you were even saying before. It's like, how do you, I, I address, like, let's describe what we do, right? What problem does it solve? And then go through and also diffuse all the fears that the customer may have. And if you can do that, you're definitely well on your way. And then on the other side of that, you would start thinking about, okay, well, what helps when you're actually growing it up? Obviously, marketing, brand recognition, all that will help the other side of cementing that new category in your, your consumer's head. But I think the top of funnel stuff is, is I, I, all. I love category creation. I think it's challenging. It's something really challenging to do because in my experience, when I've come across category creation opportunities, from a SaaS perspective or marketplace perspective, it's more so from user research or hearing something consistently or seeing a specific user behavior of somebody like a brand who is like a leader in the space. And like I talk to like three brands that are, you know, leader and I right. notice a pattern and I see an opportunity for category creation there which means that if you want to go after that typically you have to also be early and like yes. write it out long enough till it becomes mainstream you know you can't be category creating after the hype is already there you know totally well i think there are times where category creation is probably very hard indeed and and like a personal example when i started splitbase initially i tried to stay away from conversion optimization from that term just because I felt like it wasn't representative. Honestly, I'll be honest with you guys, I kind of failed at staying away from that term because otherwise there was there was just no familiarity mm. for other people. Like it just they you just wouldn't understand what we did. Exactly. So even today, I don't say anymore conversion rate optimization. I'll never say the no, word right. rate mm -hmm. 
um, even though it's still in, we still we still say CRO, but I'm never gonna pronounce rate because it just that's not what we do. We do it, but conversion optimization is maybe a little better. I don't, I still don't think it's ideal, but and maybe I'm wrong with this, and maybe we should totally find a different way of describing what we do. But so far, we're sticking with this because it just looks like our market wouldn't necessarily be ready for us for to be something completely different. Well, and but the other thing is and. From your experience though, I'm sure after you got, you started working with a couple clients who were able to demonstrate success, right? That becomes less of an issue, the, the fact that you're naming it, because now you have credibility, yes. you've done it before. So again, that's why I was kind of saying it's, it's a little bit of both. If you were trying to, if you're starting from scratch, that's where it's gonna be the hardest. But yep. when you can latch onto something that's familiar enough, so okay, say we're doing conversion optimization, Here's my portfolio. Here are the brands I've worked with. Here's the success that we've done. And if you talk to me, like you're gonna know, you know, we're gonna have a great conversation. You're gonna understand why you need it. That you're you're in a good position to totally uh, to operate. I think you nailed it. Latching on to something that's familiar with people, for I think for some brands or some products, I mean, it's necessary for people to understand what it is. Right. It's a science of familiarity. Totally. You know, like so we'll latch on conversion optimization where probably different than a lot of optimization and landing page agencies because we focus a whole lot more on that qualitative side of things that we talked about than 99% of optimization and landing page agencies out there. Mm -hmm. Most landing page agencies out there are just gonna build something from a template, you know, and it's gonna be like, oh, we should talk about that, we should talk about this. But that's our unique mechanism is we always say, and, and that's literally what I do when I sell brands or services. It's, you know, I talk about our services being, hey, well, we do, we talk to the customer and we do this, which generally, you know, a lot of other agencies don't do. So I think there's always a way to be a bit different. I don't know if it really falls into creating an entirely different category at that point, but, you know, maybe it's, the beginning yeah and it, it's it's obviously like creating the idea of creating a category that's a very broad you know idea to explore yeah. because there's brands that are similar to something existing and then there's brands that are like unlike any product that like you gave the example of magnetic lashes right like yeah. it's similar enough to a product that existing so you're like kind of creating a new category but like imagine if you invented a crazy new tool that like no one, the world has never seen before. Right. Like that's almost like, it's a totally different bucket of thing, yeah. right? I feel like this happens a lot. Cause like, you know, in the influencer space, it happened a lot between like the word community and the word ambassadors, like, and then like those two just get so blended. And even with the word influencer, I saw it firsthand in, in, in the word ambassador and in community as well. It's like, mm -hmm. It was like a mix, like both you have your customers involved and, you know, I feel like, again, I, I don't think, you know, community just means so many things, right? Like a community is a community is a brand. Um, a community could be your customers. A, like, and so I never saw like that ambassador thing, like really, really take off in, in that way. I just feel like it missed narrowing it down like it could have worked and, and like so look there's a bunch of brands out there that have like insanely successful ambassador programs and stuff but the adoption of the mainstream for all other brands to be able to do it i feel like it missed that narrowing down into its own defined category 
it's not easy because it, it's scary. I think that is yeah. That you is have to go the all the way. You know, yeah. if you're gonna try and like, so some, you know, uh, and we've considered this a few times and a few things we've done, and and it's like, well, well, we know we we can't be number one in that space, or like we're not near number one, then it's worth discovering a category creation. But it is super scary because if you're gonna do that, you better go all in. Yeah. You can't like, you know, kind of be flaky about it. Like, sure, you can run your test, but if they validate when you go in go in and the hoping the market follows well, and the yeah, market might not follow. That's the big thing. It's like, if you're creating a new opportunity, it's like developing a new opportunity. Like right? look like at UFC, like, What's that? like UFC, like Dana White. I mean, they were gonna go bankrupt at so many points. Now UFC, how many billions is it worth? Like, yeah. No, totally, and it's like, even if you look at it from like an SEO perspective or something, if you're creating a new right. category, there's no one's no looking keyword. Right? There's no traffic there's no there. Search volume so there's no one that's it. coming there looking yeah. for you. Yeah. But, but the flip side and where the ROI comes out is like, if you're able to coin that category, name that core category, you're the one that people are looking for. So again, there's, there's different trade-offs where if, if you just say, oh, I wanna latch onto something that's already a trend that's already existing and I'm gonna by default get overflow. Like, so if you look at it, even in the space that we're in, right? Like when an e-commerce company is like looking for like a storefront or like a help desk or a returns platform, these are all platforms that are very much, they exist and everyone knows they need one. And they're like, which one is it gonna be? I know I need to be on, okay, I'm gonna be on Shopify. I know I need to be on Gorgeous or Zendesk or customer. It's like, I know I need one of these bunch. Right, they're already looking for it. Whereas when you, like you said, when you're creating a category, it's the same thing on the flip side for the brands, right? If you're like, I know I need to buy like athleisure wear. It's like, okay, Lululemon or Gymshark or this or that. You you know what you're looking for and you're gonna go create it and they're gonna have a bunch of ad dollars and you're gonna, they're gonna attract you. But when you're creating something new, like you're saying, it's like, if I wanna be the new XYZ product that doesn't exist, no one's out there looking for it. So you have, it's on you to do all the, all the work to like whether you're selling through your community and you're getting your your customers to like sell it to their friends and slowly you're going to build that up and then over time you'll be the one sitting on yeah. top. Yeah. That's such a great point. I mean, I think it's you need to be persistent, you know. But then if you are, then you're going to be the owner of that term of that category. And I guess the signal that you look for in the beginning is like before terminologies existed for a lot of different products or different ideas for like different software systems or whatever like someone made something someone else used it and was like oh that's cool and th there was th that feeling of product market fit right yeah. look sometimes you, you you're in a category you're creating before you even know it like, before you even Ramon, realize like, it right Ramon, even even you right you do like ugc is the category that you're in right I don't think UGC was like a terminology. Even DTC, like, direct to consumer, that wasn't a category but you know, when you started. Here's, space. Here's, yeah. something we're, here's something we were talking about earlier. Like UGC is a form of specific content, but like we want to expand into other forms of creative. And so we're in a position where we're like, okay, well, this is custom content for your brand because you get to be the creative director for content that you want to like, you know what outcome you want from it and then our creators make it for you. Whereas UGC can be like 
user-generated content, like some of that can be pre-existing and you don't get to be the creative director of that. So what is, what do you call content that like, right. I know what I want, I choose the person, I approve the content. It's more content for the future. It's like custom content. So like, as we're trying to expand from this UGC thing, like we're, we're, we're finding ourselves there. That's a really good point. Cause what is UGC? UGC might just be every, every Instagram post that your brand has been right. tagged in on the internet. Like, exactly. okay, great. But like you'd had no direction in that. And right. sure, we can showcase and use a couple reviews. And, and like, you can filter are, through like thousands of photos, you know? And, and I think that's super interesting because what you guys do with Trend is you actually let brands collaborate directly with creatives, not necessarily at the, you know, they can be influenced, but not necessarily at the influencer level. Just saying, I know the type of content that I need. I know the type of content that my customer base is gonna to respond to, let's go create some of that and let's scale that up. So I think you guys enable that in an amazing way. Whereas, like we said, if you're just waiting for UGC, you know, you're like, uh, not that one. Like, mm, no, that's not it. And then you might be waiting all, waiting for a year before you get the, the video that you want. Yeah, maybe you call it something like, user created content, mm -hmm. you know, or something like that. You kind of- Collaborative content. Yeah. Creative. Because you're right, you know, at, at the end of the day, you, you say UGC and I'm like, well, to me, it's just like any type of content that's been created by a user of a product, no matter if it's been mandated by the brand or if right. it's just me taking a picture of my sparkling right, water. But exactly. You know? And like a creative studio isn't a user of the product, but they make great creative for the brand that the brand uses on performance marketing. So like it doesn't have to be user and clearly i mean you're using our network of creators let's be real here they're not our, your user so let's also not fake that like you know a lot of people get mixed up the word authenticity as well and it's like well look authentic is when the customer like if it's somebody who's portraying to be your customer but like right. if i take a picture of this from my phone right here i'm not pretending to and be like, your customer i'm not like involved. the ads you're running on facebook like by the same those aren't authentic those are something that like someone like chose the photo exactly. wrote the copy like yeah. it's very much intentional and so right? the customers themselves are even confused in terms of what they're asking for you know it's like you said they come to you with this neil patel article and then they say well how about the authenticity of your creators i'm like wait yeah. let's let's take a step back and like yeah. what are you trying to accomplish but i think even whether you're thinking about it from the lens of like SaaS and software and founding a company or even in the d to c space you're just looking at where is the market going right? And how is it going to fragment over time? And what I like about where you guys are is, again, you're basically making a bet that, hey, content over time for brands is going to continue to be more and more important, whether that's the content that they're shooting themselves, the content that their users are tacking them in on social, or the content that you're working on that you're collaborating with different creators on, right? And then over time, you guys will name a category, create it, and everyone will be like, oh yeah, of course, I know exactly what this stuff is. But at this point in time today, it doesn't exist because the market's We're early. starting to see a lot of it right now. And I was talking with this, with my partner today, which is like, you know, a lot of people are now just putting, creating organic TikToks and like not even putting ad spend behind it and just investing more into testing more organic creative and that was the whole idea when we got started and now we're seeing it and it's like 
you know, it's kind of, you have to be right. You have to see it ahead of time. It just sounds like we need split base to help us out. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I keep thinking about. But dude, yeah, like, um, you know, what's in plan for split base? Like what's in plan for you? What's next? Like, you know, so, so split base is, you know, with that DQC wave and everybody's starting to realize that, hey, I think we need a landing page. Hey, I think we need to improve and, and our websites run tests and do optimization. I mean, I think it's funny. Splitbase is six, seven, eight years old. I, I lose track of time. But, you know, I still think we're only at the very beginning of it. You know, like I said, like right now, people still think, the industry, I mean, still think of optimization as an A-B test. An A-B test is optimization. It is not, you know. Optimization is, you know, improving experiences, validating and validating hypotheses. A-B testing is a tool as part of that. The industry, I don't think, is 100% there yet. I don't think brands think of it that way automatically. Now, brands that work with us after a couple of months, you know, we try to make them understand that and, and most of them realize, oh, this is what it means to do optimization. But I think over time, you know, as brands become more, I don't want to say accept that, but as they realize that optimization is more than A-B testing, you know, our task is going to be more than doing A-B testing as well. And it's really going to be to guide those brands with how do we create a culture of experimentation? How do we get, you know, optimization is not something that one department should be responsible of or that one person is responsible of. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of operating. And this is my favorite success story, honestly. So Dr. Squatch, which I've mentioned, right? So we've been working with them for about three years. And when we started with them, the brand was pretty small and they, I don't think they were even running any A-B test. Now, fast forward three years later, you know, we've been meeting on a weekly basis and, and, and more frequently and, and running tests and helping them with this. They now have three years later, pretty much an entire optimization team and their team and everyone that really in their brand that you interact with think in terms of hypotheses, in terms of, oh, we're not just going to release this feature because we know it needs to go out. You know, they think of what is the likelihood that this is either going to fail and cost us a lot of sales or what is the likelihood that it's actually going to work? Like, are we wrong? Are we right? We don't know until we test it. And they think of it that way. And it's a mindset shift. It, it's more than just running great tests. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's when your mission is fully accomplished. It's when I feel the most proud because then, you know, it went further than just a yeah, couple Yeah, it's a tests. crucial element then of the business. Like I was thinking as you were, as you were telling me a few things earlier, I was like, well, man, I, that makes me just want to go into the live chat of my own business and just like, 100%. and like ask someone like, why, where did you come from? Or like, why are you here? What are you expecting? And then I thought to myself, but like, damn, like it would be great if my customer support person, but like, they're not, you know, they're not on the same wavelength. Like they don't know that like, hey, this is one of our priorities. And like, how do you distill that onto them, et cetera? Yeah, totally. And you know, now that we've been talking about category creation, I'm like, I don't think we... I really don't think we have created an entire category of its own yet, but you know, people are waking up to, especially the D2C space, landing pages and the way we do them. And, and I'm sure there is an opportunity for category creation with, with the way we do advertorials, landing pages, just optimize experiences. So what's next? I mean, I think it's, it's gonna be a continuation of that, right? Obviously, 
how do we help those brands better understand things, but maybe, you know, something fun for us is to figure out what is our unique category, really, that we can create. And for you guys, too, it's like the one thing I think you could kind of think of is like, what you're doing with the website, like the landing page, right. like that's just the start, right? Yep. Because if you're able to optimize the landing page where they come in on, and then now we have product pages, now we have internal processes. There's so many, like when you get into the idea of like tying everything back to what you're doing in the landing page, like that's what that's, the goal could be. That's such a good point because I've been telling this to my team for a while, you know, it's like we, optimi we optimize websites, mm -hmm. web pages, PDPs, landing pages, things like that. But the truth is we learn so much about customers that we could be optimizing literally the entire ecosystem of a brand, right? Sometimes it's operations. And with some brands, we've told them, hey, well, maybe try to sell your product in packages of two. Mm -hmm. And that's not like, it's not like we're testing like button colors yeah. or anything. Yeah. It's really? like it's change your logistics to make exactly. this work and let's test that, right? It's more complicated to pull off and not every brand can do that type of stuff. But I think, yes, I think the future is there. I think it's how can we go beyond web pages? What you really are is you're designers and architects, yeah. right? I mean, one of my favorite things like, that Steve Jobs and Apple would do is for him, it wasn't just about the product. Obviously the product was important, but like looking into, okay, what does the product look like under the hood? What is our, what is our factory operation look like? And just being, and having that all tie together holistically into the whole product experience. He wasn't cool with just having like an ugly looking inside of the phone case of if it like looked shiny, you know? And I think that's the same opportunity that you're talking about. It's like, we're starting with the most important thing, which is the landing page and the home page and the web page. But that extends, and that thinking of let's tie in everything, that extends all the way through the whole business. And if you can help a, a, help a brand through that whole process, the, like there's, the sky's the limit on the opportunity. Absolutely, yeah. Dude, well, this was awesome. This was awesome. Yeah, that was great. Thanks yeah. so much for no, having no, me. No, we loved it. Learned a ton about uh, web pages. I have a lot of thinking to do now about my own site. <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. too. But yeah, it was super great having you. Um, where can uh, where can our listeners find you? Are you on Twitter, LinkedIn? Yeah. Any, you know, where can they find more about Splitbase? So for Splitbase, splitbase.com. I mean, we have a blog. I have the podcast as well. Minds of e-commerce, new season coming up really soon. So that's great. I'm on Twitter as well, R. Paul and Daigle. People probably won't know how to spell that, so just look at how my name is spelled in this podcast episode title. And uh, yeah, I think those are really the two spots. Perfect. Well, well we loved having you on and uh, look forward to seeing you back in Miami soon. Yes. I know it's cold up in Montreal, especially this time of year, but uh, always happy to have you. Totally. Thanks so much for having me. All right. <laughs>